Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it might be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. Lord, we're so thankful to you for all that you've done for us. And even now, we pray your blessing on Redeemer Bible Church. Thank you for their welcome to us, and thank you for our new home here. As we turn to your word, would you speak to us in Christ's name? Amen. If you've joined us, um, maybe for the first time in in the last couple of weeks, um, we have been in the book of Ruth. We come to chapter 3, which is... um, the most, one of the more suggestive chapters in the Bible. It's one of the more fraught um, chapters of the Bible, but also one of the more exciting. And um, though we're faced with challenges today in our daily life, these are exciting times. Uh, because everything seems, while there's so much seems uncertain, the very uncertainty of it all reminds us of the things that are constant and Certain. So if you'll um, open up your bulletins, and if you'd like your Bibles, um, and, and if you're without your Bible, I don't mind if you pull up your phone. Just be aware that the person behind you will see you playing Candy Crush. So, you know, uh, no judgment there, but you will have to talk to them afterwards. So keep that in mind. And we're going to look at to, we're going to look at the three main characters in Ruth. We're going to look at Naomi, the mother-in-law. We're going to look at Ruth the daughter-in-law, and Boaz, the redeemer. And uh, two things jump out straight at the bat. If you look down with me in verses 1, uh, just at verse 1, then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you? And here's the big surprise straight off the bat. Naomi is no longer thinking about herself. When the, 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 the story began, We hear that Naomi says, the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. And this is the language of hopelessness. And we've all met people there, and it's not a judgment on them. It's just that when when horrific things happen, it just hits us in a way that we just have lost our bearings. I don't know if any of you uh, went through the scouting movement, and uh, you're trying to figure out how to read the compass, and it's just spinning. You know, I don't know if you've ever had that experience or sometimes emotionally we can feel that we're, we're trying to, to, it's like we're swimming in life and just trying to break through the surface to get some air and we can never get there or we've, if you've hit a wall, sometimes you can feel that life is like that. And what the big surprise here is that Naomi has changed. Hope has entered into her life. How? She's seen God move. And she's seen God answer her prayers. And in chapter 2 that we very briefly looked at last week, what's happened is, is that she has encountered the kindness of God, which has led to hope. 
And when the, you meet the kindness of God, when you encounter it and hope begins to grow in your heart, something happens. Your perspective changes, and you suddenly start to look beyond yourself, which is what's happened with Naomi. And she looks to her daughter-in-law, who's been loyal and loving, and she begins to think about a way and begins to pray about a way for the Lord to find a place of care and security, and she makes a plan. Now, some commentators talk about the power of a daughter-in-law being so obedient to her mother-in-law. I don't know, for those of you who are married, what your relationship's like with your in-laws. You know, it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful discussion topic at supper when they're not present. You could just, you know, share stories. Um, my mother-in-law, I think it was 10 years ago, 12 years ago, came to visit, and uh, she came to a week. We were living in London, and I considered myself at the time a great baker, um, and, uh, and yet she was even better. And Rachel was headmistress of a school, so she wasn't present, so I had a lot of time with my mother-in-law, Audrey, and so uh, she was going through our pantry, and she saw these cans of minced meat, you know, to make mince pies, and she said, why do you have so many of them? And I said, well, friends of ours left for the mission field, and they just gave us the contents of their, you know, pantry, and she said, well, we should make mince pies, and I said, oh, that's a great idea. Will you teach me how to make pastry, because her pastry is phenomenal, next level, and uh, so I thought, you know, my mind will make a dozen pies, and that'd be great. Well, after the fourth dozen, my back hurts, you know, it's just, uh, this is painful, and I'm just trying not to show any signs of weakness to my mother-in-law, because I really want her to like me and love me and all that stuff. And by the time we got to the seventh dozen, I think we were done, and she said, you followed my instructions perfectly, you should come out great. And, uh, you know, there was no choice, you know, you're kind of in it. And we've all lived through seasons like that. The challenge was is it was October, and so when Halloween came and all the kids came by, we had no candy, but we had seven dozen mince pies. And so I gave the kids each a mince pie, and they never came back. So anyway, thank you, Audrey, for the baking lesson. It's, it's worth saying, though, that when individuals encounter the kindness of God, we see it. When a community comes under the influence of the kindness of God, it feels almost like there's something moving overhead. And hope starts to thrive. And faith and righteousness in a community is no longer understood as I'm just trying not to sin. But you hit a tipping point and all of a sudden, we become concerned about finding a way that we can impact the community. We begin to stop leaning backwards, but we lean in forward and say, we carry the hope of the world in our hearts because of Jesus. Perhaps we can make a difference here, and what can we possibly do? And my experience here has been that St. Bart's has encountered the kindness of God. From my perspective, it's like the Holy Spirit has been hovering over our community and the Lord's kindness has been moving in and through us. And in these last short five months, we've seen the Lord provide in incredible, kind ways. There was an outpouring of generosity and giving in June that meant that we made the shortfall in our budget, which is an act of God. And then all of a sudden, we found new partners in the gospel here in East Dallas with Redeemer Bible Church. 
And all of a sudden, hope is starting to spring out amongst us. And this is the kindness of God that leads to hope. So Naomi has changed. The second thing is she has a plan. And this is where it gets a little odd. Uh, We learn that in verse 2, if you look over with me, that Boaz is a relative and a kinsman. So he's suddenly a candidate for being Ruth's husband. And this is important because the family has an inheritance. And because of the death of Ruth's husband, that inheritance, that money's in jeopardy, the land's in jeopardy, the family name's in jeopardy, and uh, the family line's in jeopardy. And so Naomi tells Ruth to make herself to clean up. Why does she have to clean up? Well, she's been working the field all day, and when she gets home from work, she threshes the wheat and cooks. So, you know, it's hard work. And she says, um, clean up and go to the threshing floor of Boaz. And after he's gone to bed for the evening, sneak in, lift up his cloak, and lie down at his feet. Everybody, including Ruth, must be thinking, and just where is this supposed to lead? All right? This, you know, question whether or not children should hear this, maybe. Um, But Naomi gives an extraordinary answer in verse 4. Just look over with me. She says in verse 4, but when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, and go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And so all of a sudden, we we have that moment of suspense, ambiguity, and it's either going to be R-rated or it's going to be a stunning scene of purity, integrity, and self-control. And so we get to, if you look down with me, if you're following along in your Bibles, because we go off piste here, in verse 6, we see that in verse 5, Ruth has said that she would follow all of Naomi's instructions, but Ruth does more than that. Naomi says, Boaz will tell you what to do, and before that happens, Ruth tells Boaz why she's come. Let me read it to you in verse 5. I'll do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. See, sometimes you just got to listen to your mother-in-law because she may be speaking godly wisdom, and often she probably is. And verse 7, when Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man, and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Verse 9, who are you, he asked. I'm your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. So she's lying at his feet, under his cloak. He wakes and says, who are you? She answers with words unprompted by Naomi. I am Ruth, your maidservant. Spread your cloak over me, your maidservant, for you are next of king, next of kin. So Ruth isn't merely Naomi's pawn. She's gone willingly, and now she takes the initiative to make clear to Boaz why she's there. By saying next of kin, or literally saying you're the redeemer, you're the one who can redeem our inheritance and our family name from being lost, I want you to fill that role for me. I want to be your wife. Now, here's the thing. She doesn't say it outright. Like, this is a very subtle story, a very subtle narrative. I doubt it would make good TV. She's less direct and more enticing. And when Ruth says, spread your cloak over me, the word for cloak in the he- is the Hebrew word for wing. And this is an important detail. 
Because this word is used only one other place in Ruth. Namely, it's the key verse in Ruth chapter 2, verse 12. And Boaz says to Ruth, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. But what we see in chapter 2 was that Boaz was God's agent of reward to Ruth because he says, look, you can have, you can glean from my field and I'll provide security and protection for you. He gives her free access to his field and protection for the young men and water from the well. What I found, why, and Ruth says to Boaz, why have I found favor in your eyes? And Boaz says, because you've come to take refuge under the wings of God. So commentators explain chapter 3 as a form of subtle, pure romance. And what Boaz really means is because you take refuge under the wings of God, you're the kind of woman I want to cover with my wings. You're the kind of woman I want to bring into my family. It's probably different now. I don't know. I haven't dated in 19, 20 years. Um, but, you know, they didn't have apps at the time of this writing, so there was no help there. And, and culturally, it was difficult for an older man to express love to a younger woman, albeit a widow. Uh, there was no swiping at, you know, it was just kind of, it's just much more complex. So what Boaz does, if you read back in chapters 1 and 2, what he does is he expresses with deeds of kindness and subtle words, he expresses admiration towards Ruth. He said he admired her for coming under God's wings. He acted as though she were under his, and he waited. And in the course of time, Naomi and Ruth get a response that is just as subtle and just as profound. Ruth will come to him in his sleep in the grain field where he has taken her under his care, and she will say yes. But she will say it with an action just as subtle and profound as the action and words of Boaz. It's similar, maybe, to the kind of pride and prejudice world. The Victorian, you know, um, where there were so many hints culturally and subculturally what you were to do in courting. And so when she puts herself under his wing, so to speak, and when he wakes, everything hangs on one sentence. And whether Ruth has interpreted Boaz correctly, I am Ruth, she says. Spread your wings over your maidservant. I don't know. The text doesn't tell us. You know, we don't have the, the, the pregnant pause that would come after such a moment. Um, either was Boaz letting himself believe that this magnificent woman had really understood all of the cues, had so profoundly and sensitively understood what was going on? I mean, the uncertainty here is strong. And all of a sudden, the risk is made. She says these words. And then in chapter uh, 3, verse 10, this is what Boaz says. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. The ki this kindness is greater than that which he showed earlier. You have not run after the young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. To hear what he says in the right way, you have to remember the setting. It's probably midnight or so. They're under the stars, and he's looking down into the face of the woman 
He's attracted to, he admires where there's the beginning of love, who's covered with his own cloak. May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter, he says. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear, for I will not do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you're a woman of worth. Um, and all of a sudden, we get uh, a peek into Boaz's character. Here we see what happens when the kindness of God is brought to bear on him. All of a sudden, we see a word of magnificent righteousness and words of self-control. He says, according to custom, Ruth, there's another who has a prior claim to you, and I won't be able to proceed until all things are duly settled with him. The stars are beautiful overhead. It's midnight. He loves her. They're alone. She's under his cloak, and he stops. He doesn't move any further for the sake of righteousness, and he doesn't touch her. So it's G-rated. And what happens when the kindness of God is brought to bear on these three people? We see hope in Naomi. We see the redemption not just of two women who fled famine, who are, you know, a displaced people. We could call them maybe refugees. We see redemption of them, of a family. We see love marked by powerful self-control. And we see love that is committed to righteousness. And so Naomi's plan for security and a child for Ruth, she began to look to the next generation. But the Lord also had a plan, not just for one generation, but for multiple generations. Because the, what we'll see next week is that the son that is born to Ruth becomes King David's grandfather. Ruth was looking for security and found God. And the Lord was looking for someone who would bring into the world a man with a heart like his. And the two lined up. And not only one generation is blessed, but when the Lord brings in his son into the world, how does he name him? He names him the son of David. The other subtext here, what's so encouraging, is that God is working out his purposes through the everyday, faithful, obedient, unspectacular events of everyday life. I don't know about you, but it's tempting to think just because dramatic spiritual events don't happen every day that God isn't at work. But the book of Ruth paints a different picture. We see God is mentioned 23 times, but I think only twice by the narrator. And we see him moving virtually unseen through the hard work, daily grind. He's working out his purposes to bless countless generations through people who will live their lives through simple obedience fueled by hope. So I don't know what you're facing today, but what Ruth shows us is that hard work is hard work, but it doesn't mean it's bad. And you may be going through a season where you don't feel as if God is very present or it may seem distant. But remember, feelings are great indicators, but they're not great rulers. And so just because we don't feel it doesn't mean it's true. God's in the hard work. He's in the daily grind. St. Bart's has encountered 
the loving kindness of God. And as I said earlier, and I'll say it again, from my perspective, it's been like the Holy Spirit hovering over the community and the Lord's kindness moving in and through us. It's great to have Beth here this morning and, uh, and, and some of the Redeemer folk. And just as I close, I'll tell you this, how, how this next, se- I mean, really, Chris and Jay and all y'all did all the hard work. You know, we're just kind of the, the latest to join. Um, but it was like my birthday, May 15th, and uh, Rachel sent me on a treasure hunt downtown. I was going to different destinations by a certain time. I was at the Adolphus Hotel, which I'd never been before, getting like an old school barber haircut and shave. And like half of my face was covered in foam and he was shaved the other bit. And I get a call from Michael Delario um, and he says, hey, you need to call this person at Redeemer. They may be able to help us find a Sunday morning worship time. So I, um, I prayed. I said, Lord, do you want me to wait? Call on Monday. And that verse just went through my mind. Today's the day of salvation. So I stopped the barber mid-shave. I step out of the barber shop. There's like three weddings conversion. They're kind of looking at me like, what's wrong with that guy? And I call Kent, who's on, st- who, who's on staff here. I said, hello, my name's Dave Larley. I'm the pastor. I'm looking for a Sunday morning spot. And, and all of a sudden, things just started to happen. And when things just start to happen like that, it's the kindness of God. It's, it's the power of God moving and bringing things together, moving along a storyline. And so we're here, and, it's, and we've been so well-received and welcomed uh, by uh, the congregation here at Redeemer Bible Church and by the elders. And, and Kevin, thank you. Beth, thank you. And, and, and Brad up there in the sound booth, thank you for the war, warm welcome. And we're excited to see what happens. You may feel that the Lord has dealt with you bitterly. And, and, and life gets bitter from time to time. But the Lord isn't finished working. And so we want to pray for you this morning before we move on in our service. We want to pray for anyone who feels like they're going through the daily grind and have lost kind of the perspective. The compass is spinning. In which way are we going? And we want to pray for those of us in a position to actually do something and bring about redemption maybe just through kind words or just by following what the next step is. So why don't we stand and let me pray. And let's just take a moment maybe to do a bit of business with God before we carry on with our service. Lord, we uh, just lift you any in our midst and in a congregation like this, it stands to reason that there are some uh, who are feeling the bite of life right now, that things do feel bitter. And we pray now for your kindness to be brought afresh to bear on their hearts. That hope would come to life like it did in Naomi. Pray for any who are feeling just the daily grind that it's just hard right now. And we're just putting one foot in front of the other. Would you come, Father, by your spirit and bring your kindness to bear on our hearts? Pray for especially those of us who might be going through a season of transition. Would you bring people alongside who can help and who can guide? And then lastly, Lord, we lift you, those of us who are in a different space, who are in a space where we are leaning forward where you've blessed the work of our hands, 
and you've given us eyes to see, and we ask that you would lead us to show how we can put the hope you've given us, the gifts you've given us to work to make a difference. Would you come and move in power? And if there's anyone here, Lord, like Ruth and Naomi who are just looking for refuge under the wings of your presence, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would make that happen even now. Thank you that you call us individually, but you also call us as a community. So as a church, we ask that you would meet us, fill us, and move through us, that we might see East Dallas changed into the blueprint you have for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.